So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Get on a smartphone or whatever. We're going to be in the book of Titus, chapter 1, and we're starting in verse 5 today. So, we started our series last week, and I know it's the most thrilling topic in the world, healthy church. Now, I explained last week, hey, it's not the most exciting topic, but it's so important. Being healthy is so important for us as individuals, and definitely as a church, as an organization. So how do we do that? So we're going through this series called Healthy Church through this little tiny letter to a pastor named Titus. And we're going to go in and start in verse 5 today. This series is only going to have five parts. It's a short series, right? And for that reason, I think that you can watch or listen to every single message. Even if you missed last week, we have our audio and video available on our website, staplesandchurch.com. Click under the media tab. And I know some of you will be traveling this summer. That's okay. We understand we get it. But subscribe. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel or subscribe as a podcast and get it straight to your phone every week. And then, hey, you just got it right there. So I encourage you guys to do that because I want everyone in our church to listen to every one of the messages in this series. And I don't think five half-hour messages is too much to ask, right? I think you can do it. Okay, that's my response to you. So today we're going to talk about healthy leaders because leaders are so important. A few years ago, I read a biography about George Washington. It's huge, 800 pages. I loved it, even though it's a lot of the minutia of his life and the Revolutionary War and his presidency. But one thing that really stuck out to me is when he was early on as a general, what he noticed is he was trying to bring all this this continental army together, a bunch of ragtag militias, and and unite them, is that whenever um, there was a good leader of a regiment, then the soldiers were very well behaved. They had good manners. They were great soldiers. But whenever he saw ill-behaved soldiers who were rude and who would desert the battlefield because of cowardice, without fail, the leader was a bad leader. And it's an interesting thing. You see this in organizations, too, or in families. If the family, if the organization is ill-behaved, if things aren't going well, you can always look at the leader and you say, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So what we want to do is make sure that we have healthy leaders. So what we're going to talk about in this message, a lot of it you can apply if you guys run organizations or you're in a business or in a family, but we're primarily focused on the church and and how we want to be a healthy church, and that requires that we have healthy leaders here. And and what I want to just tell you is our big idea from the outset is that a healthy church needs healthy leaders. Pretty simple, right? So what are those leaders? Godly elders who are shepherds like Jesus. So this is going to be our big idea today. We're going to unpack it as we examine our short little passage in Titus. Because what God says, hey, you, if you want to be a healthy church, if you want to have an impact in people's lives and in the community around you, if you want to be thriving, you're going to need healthy leaders. And those leaders are godly elders who are shepherds like Jesus. And the leader is so important. I was thinking about geese this week. I know they're gone, but, but think about geese. I think they're a great example of leadership. Because when you see them, they never fly alone, or if they do, they're struggling. They always fly in bees, right? Flying bee, mighty ducks, right? Flying bee for the geese, the ducks. One thing that I, I found out as I was studying it that's really interesting is, is that they, they draft, right? They draft in the air from the, the front geese, you know, they kind of come in behind and allow them to go a little bit faster. Same thing in cycling or indie car racing. I know some of you guys watched that last week, or, or, or any type of racing, right? You want to get behind somebody in front of you, and it, it requires less energy. But when they were studying geese, what they found was that geese who flew in a V were able to go 71% farther than if they had flown on their own. 
That's almost doubling the distance they could travel alone. Because having a leader in front is so important. And when that leader of the, the flying V gets a little uh, tired, then they move to the back and somebody else takes the lead, right? But having a leader is so important. It's the same thing in the church. If we want to move forward in a healthy manner and achieve that goal that we talked about last week, because the goal of a healthy church is what? Anybody? Godliness through the gospel. That's the big idea. I should have that memorized. Uh, just a little reminder that if we want to go towards that goal, if we want to take people from, from far away from God, not knowing God, broken, hurting, and we want to move them to the place where they're more and more godly, living out their faith, not just knowing their faith, but living it out with their actions, head in hand, right? If we want to take people from there to there, we're going to need healthy leaders. We're going to need to fly in a V. We've got to have the right formation. We've got to have the right goose head of the formation, or the right geese, as the case may be. So that's what we're going to see t- today, that the healthy church needs healthy leaders, godly elders, who are shepherds like Jesus. So let's look first in, in Timothy, I'm sorry, Titus 1, 5. We read, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So who's the I that's writing this letter? Anybody? Paul. The Apostle Paul. He's probably spent some time on this island of Crete, and we have a map here. I misspoke last week, and I said the size wrong. It's actually about 160 miles long. So I, I was thinking that's about the, the range from Pueblo to Fort Collins. Okay, and there's a bunch of little towns along this island. There's probably a bunch of new Christians, baby Christians. They were starting to form churches in these different towns along Crete. And if we can pull up our verse again. What Paul is saying is, I left you in Crete so that you can put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. So who's the you? Titus. Titus. It's my daughter. She's adorable. She's adorable. Thank you. I think so. So Paul is writing to Titus, saying, Hey, I left you there, Titus, because I didn't get to finish everything I wanted. We'd started these churches, but they didn't get to grow and develop and become healthier. So what I'm going to need you to do, one of the first tasks, is to appoint elders. They need leaders. And notice it's plural. So there's probably multiple leaders that were needed for every town. So every town had its own church, and every church had multiple leaders. So these are the the leaders Paul is saying that you need, elders. So I'm going to give you a few different points here from our big idea, a few sub-points. And the first one is that there are two levels of leadership in the church. Elders and deacons. Elders and deacons. There are two levels of leadership in the church that the Bible talks about. Elders and and deacons. And in this passage, we're not going to talk about deacons. You can look at a place like 1 Timothy chapter 3, where it talks more about what deacons are, or in the book of Acts chapter 6 and 7, it talks about why deacons form. But what I want to say is that there's these two different levels of leadership. So, uh, a few things I want to point out about this. So, these elders, they're kind of the, the, the main leaders. And I think the reason why Paul isn't talking about deacons yet because there's such a brand new church that says, before we can even start talking about deacons, we need elders. We need the top leaders in place before you can talk about the leaders over certain ministries. So, in the Bible, elders is a term, and it meant just in Hebrew, someone who's older. Because what happened in the Hebrew villages is the older, wise people would become the elders. 
And they would lead the, and give counsel and give judgment on different decisions that were making. And, and what happened is the churches were shouting for them and said, hey, we need some leaders like that. And they just took that term, elder. So it doesn't mean in this context someone who's older. In fact, I don't think age matters at all as long as it's someone who's going to fit the qualifications that Paul is going to lay out for what an elder is, what a healthy leader is. So these are the people that are kind of uh, making the decisions at like 10,000 feet. They're the generals, right? These are the, the commanding officers that are just trying to figure out how to make the bigger picture decisions. And then what happened in the early church, there was these, the 12 disciples, became the 12 apostles, and they were probably the first elders. There were some other ones that were coming along there. And they said, it said that they devoted themselves to the word, teaching the Bible, understanding it, making sure other people understand it. It said they devoted themselves to the word and to prayer. So they were focused on praying for the church, caring for people when they had needs, when they were in the hospital or whatever the hospitals were that day, that they would come and visit those people. That's what elders were doing. But then something happened. They were starting a ministry to feed widows. That's what happened in the very beginning of the church. And there was a bunch of widows, and they needed food. They were hungry. They were very poor in that society, so they were making them food. And then all of a sudden, there was these squabbles over who should get food, and, hey, I, I'm poorer than that person. Shouldn't I get a meal? And there's all these fights going on, and the elders didn't know, really know how to handle it, nor did they really have time to handle it. So what they did was created this second level of leadership called the deacons. And that word deacon in Greek literally means servant. So these are the servant leaders of different ministries. So in our church, right now, we have an official elder board, and we'll talk about that today. We don't have an official deacon board, because the way we view it is that deacons are those servant leaders overseeing ministries. So they're kind of in the day-to-day grind of things. So uh, I, as the lead pastor, am actually on the elder board and on the staff here. Um, but we have other staff, and I consider those staff because they're either leading one ministry or multiple ministries. They're deacons. We also have volunteers who aren't paid, but they're stepped up, stepping up and, and leading different ministries in our church. Women's ministry, prayer ministry, and these people we consider the deacons. They're serving and they're running these ministries to make them operate effectively the day-to-day things. The elders are just trying to look at the bigger picture. How can we only make big picture decisions, handle um, the tough issues that are maybe uh, difficult for uh, people that are in the middle of a ministry to handle. So that's why we have those two levels of leadership that are talked about throughout the Bible. Now I do want to point out one other thing. In some denominations, there is a third level of leadership. A third level of leadership. The term bishop. Ever heard that? Bishop. I believe, and our church believes, that there is no such thing as bishops biblically in the Bible. Let me point this out. Um, In our passage, we're going to see that phrase, elder used, but we're also going to see another phrase used, overseer. Overseer. So the word elder in Greek is uh, presbyteros, where you hear the term Presbyterian. And the term overseer is, um, oh, now I can't remember what, episkopos. You get episcopalian, right? So those are two churches that kind of have different views of church government. Sometime in the second century, probably 100, 150 years after Jesus died and the church was formed, they started this third level of leadership, the bishop that oversaw a bunch of churches. But in the Bible, these words, elder and overseer, which is translated as bishop oftentimes, are used interchangeably. In this passage, we're going to see both terms refer to the same people, same group of people. And it's throughout the New Testament that way. So it was just kind of, I think, a mistake somewhere along the way that that happened, because those terms elder and overseer were used interchangeably, elder and bishop. 
It meant the same people. They were people that were leading that group, that church. Now, um, I do want to point out, with that, so we, we say, hey, there's only elders and deacons in the church. But hey, we want to cooperate with other churches, right? So how do you oversee that? Well, that's the church part, right? We are part of a movement of churches, a group of churches that are called Converge Worldwide. And it's a group of about 1,300 plus churches and what we do is we unite because we share different, we share the same vision and values and beliefs, and we say, hey, we can do a lot more together than we could separate. If we were separate, there's no way we could fund missionaries to go overseas, like the missionaries you're going to hear about this summer. We couldn't do it. We couldn't plant churches. You're going to meet a church planter next week that's part of our network. We couldn't do these things unless we come together. So that's why we voluntarily organized in this organization called Converge. Now, we don't have someone that oversees us. Meaning that we as a church own our own building. The denomination doesn't own it. We own this building. Outright, which is pretty amazing. No debt. Praise God. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There's some Praise God. We own our building. You guys vote on your own leaders. No denomination comes in and the bishop doesn't say, no, this is your pastor. No, no, you guys voted me. And you could vote me out. Don't. <laughs> you guys, as, as a church, we decide what programs we're going to offer and what ministries we're going to have available. Nobody decides that for us. Um, so that's why we, we voluntarily are part of this organization, but we are an autonomous church because we don't think that there is any level of leadership higher than the elders in a church. Because we have to make decisions as a church that are difficult. They're difficult sometimes. So that's why I want to say these two levels of church leadership, elders and deacons, and what we're going to focus on today, this passage that Paul focuses on, are the elders. So I have a second point that I want to make about elders. That elders are neither representatives nor the most accomplished. They are shepherds. We see this in verse 6. It says, An elder must be blameless since an overseer, that's that term for bishop, it's translated to see they're used interchangeably here. An overseer manages God's household. So it's someone who looks over, watches over. And in case you're wondering why those two terms used interchangeably, this is my theory, and I've read it some places, is that elder was a Jewish term, overseer a Greek term. Since Paul is a Jew and he's writing to Titus, a Greek person, to a Greek church, he uses both terms. Okay? That's, that's my theory, that they're the same thing. It makes sense if you read the passage. So these elders are overseeing, they're shepherds, they're watching over the flock. In another place, in 1 Peter chapter 5, we see this even clearer. To the elders among you, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. This is the metaphor used throughout the Bible of shepherds, right? David, the first king, or the great king of Israel, he was a shepherd before he became king. And he wrote a great poem, it's called Psalm 23, and he says the Lord is my shepherd. And then Jesus, when he came along, said that I am the good shepherd. So this language is used throughout the Bible because it's this form of leadership that's saying in this metaphor like, hey, there's this flock, and we're going to lead them. A shepherd's job is to watch over the flock, to lead them to still waters, lead them to good pastures. The, the shepherd's job is also to protect the flock from sheep or anyone that's trying to attack them and kill them. And also sometimes to get the sheep back in line, right? I saw this news story a, a few years ago. Uh, I don't know, a few years ago, maybe last year. And it was, we have this little video I want to show you. This is a flock of 1,300 sheep that are invading a town in Spain. 
The police are trying to get involved in press. Do you know why this happened? The shepherd fell asleep. And how do you corral these 1,300 sheep to get them to go where they're supposed to go? Yeah, you need the shepherd. And if the shepherd falls asleep, the sheep just go wherever they want. Being a shepherd and having a shepherd for the flock is so important because they can see things that the sheep can't. So, um, Alexander Strout, who has a uh, book called Biblical Eldership, he says that a true biblical eldership is not a business-like committee. It's a biblically qualified council of men that jointly pastor the local church. So that's what we're talking about. It's this group of elders. If we can look back at our point... When I said that an elder is not a representative, what I mean is we're Americans. We have representative forms of government, don't we? And that's what we think of often when we think of leaders, especially ones that we vote for. Our elders may represent you on certain issues, but that's not their primary role. They're not. So we do vote for them, but it's not, okay, I voted for you, now you vote for me, right? I'm your constituents, you do what I tell you to do. That's often how we view our uh, representatives in the state and local and national government. But that's not in the church. They may represent you, but they may say, no, 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 we need to go a different direction. We may need to do something that you don't like. You might not be comfortable. They're taking their, their rod out, shepherd's rod, and leading you where you're supposed to go. And sometimes that's not too comfortable. But they're not your representatives primarily. The second thing is the most accomplished. That's not what they are. What can often happen in our culture is the person who's the CEO, who's the president of an organization, who's someone that everybody respects and esteems because they're such at a high level in their organization and business world, we say, hey, that's the leader in the church. They're a leader. Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe not. This person may be, might be totally accomplished, but they're not called to be a shepherd. That's not in their skill set or passion. Or they may be totally accomplished in the secular world, but they're not really very mature spiritually. And that's why we're looking primarily for people who are shepherds when we're talking about who are the healthy, godly leaders in a church. This is their primary role. And what does a shepherd do? A shepherd feeds the flock, leads the flock, and protects the flock. So I bring this up because what can happen, and I've seen this happen, is that sometimes people put another sheep in charge of the flock. Right? This person's a great looking sheep, got great wool, looking nice. Ah, yeah, that's the best sheep we got. Let's put him in charge. But he doesn't really know how to, or she doesn't really know how to oversee and, and watch it and manage everything. So trying to, that person is just going to be a sheep, and the sheep are just going to go like those 1,300 sheep into the middle of the city, not where they're supposed to be. There's no green grass here. Where are you going? So we, we want to make sure, no, we're putting shepherds in charge of the sheep, not sheep. The other thing is, we don't want to put wolves in charge of the sheep. This is really what we're trying to protect against. We want shepherds. Jesus said that false teachers, false prophets will come. Wolves in what? Sheep's clothing. And if it's wearing sheep's clothing, Jesus was saying, they look like sheep. You look at them and think, oh, they're a great sheep. They're doing really good. Yeah, they're great Christians. But then they come and they eat you. Seriously, it's really hard to tell the sheep from the wolves. It is. That's why Jesus said, beware. You have to know what you're talking about. And that's why we're focusing on this in this message, because we don't want sheep in charge. We don't want wolves in charge. We want shepherds to watch out for the flock. So that's our second point. And our third point is, this is really what I want to focus on today. Really what I want to focus on. Is that the who is more important than the how. 
This is really what I think the bulk of this passage is talking about. The who of the church leadership, who are the elders, that is way more important than how they elder, than how they shepherd. I point this out because the Bible is very clear in this passage and in another place, 1 Timothy chapter 3, about who the elders are supposed to be. What are their qualifications? What are their characteristics? That they're shepherds? Okay. It's very clear on the who, but on the how, it's not. And I think the Bible does that on purpose. I think that God knew that there would be churches on the island of Crete. Then there would be churches in Denver, Colorado. Then there would be churches in Shanghai. And every one of these is in different cultures. So therefore has to govern their churches a little bit differently. The church I was in in Nebraska had a little bit different government structure than we have here. And I think the Bible says that's okay. There's some principles about how you're supposed to lead the church. But the how is left pretty vague. So I want to tell you about how we do things, but we're not saying that this is the only way. We're just saying this is what we found the best way here, and how we've kind of set up the Constitution. This is long before I got here. But we have a small group of elders. So what we're saying is that there may be a whole bunch of elders in our church. There may be two dozen, three dozen people who qualify for elders, as we're going to see the group. But we're saying we want just a small group. The people that are committed shepherds that have the time to do it, that can prayerfully do it. And what I've found in my life is that the more people you have trying to make a decision, the harder it is to make a decision. And that's why we have a small group of elders. And we may grow as our church grows in the future, but we're never going to have a huge elder board. I know some churches have like 50, 70, 150 elders. We're probably never going to have that. And, and I say that because we see that when people are trying to make a decision on the national stage, we have like 100 Know, in the Senate, man, they can never agree on anything. They can't. It, it takes to, to make hard, tough decisions that a small group of people that can pray together, know each other, love each other, care about each other, and figure out how to make a decision together. So that's why, that's what we do. We have a small group of elders. And we as an elder board, we meet uh, twice a month right now, unless there's something else that comes up. One of the times is just to pray for you guys and to learn. If you're interested more in this subject, we're reading a book together called Elders and Leaders by Gene Getz. I don't know, you have to be a big nerd to read that, but I think it's a great book. I've read a whole bunch on this, because this is kind of my thing, right? Being a church leader, I care about it. So we've been reading this, studying it, praying at how we can do it, and we've been praying for you guys in one of our meetings. And then the other meeting, we kind of take care of church business, some of the bigger level decision making that we have to do. The other thing, the way we operate in our church, is that we kind of have uh, you know, our paid staff, who are those deacons I talked about, and volunteer staff, and... I'm the manager of the staff, so the staff kind of reports to me, but then the elder board manages me. I report to the elder board, so I'm held accountable by them. They're my bosses. You get to, I'm going to bring them up on stage here in a little bit so you can get to know them a little bit better. But that's how we've chosen to operate as a church. And what we're going to do um, is that we want to take nominations from you. We're going to talk about who these who are. And you guys are going to be able to tell, oh, that person would make a great elder. And you can nominate that person. We're going to have formal nominations in the beginning of August. But if at any time you want to come to me or any of the staff or any of the elders and say, I think this person would make a great elder, just tell them. And then what we're going to do in August is prayerfully think about those people, interview them, vet them a little bit, you know, see if they do meet the qualifications and they would be good for our elder board or even good for our elder board right now. They may be a great qualified leader, but they might not fit on our board at the time. And then what we'll do is we'll present, present to you the candidates we think are great, and then you guys get to vote them in or not at our September business meeting. So that's a little bit about our how, but what's really
really important is the who. So that's what I really want to focus on. So I want to give you four points for who these leaders are. The who. Because there's a lot of different qualifications. You can check in 1 Timothy 3. There's a lot of overlapping in the qualifications. But what I see is four main areas that we need these leaders to qualify as elders in the church. So our first one is that they must be faithful at home. They must be faithful at home. Family life is really important. Now, Paul was single. So he's not saying you have to be married or you have to have kids, but he's saying you have to be faithful if you are married and have kids. And that's what he says here in verse 6. He says, An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, since an overseer manages God's household. This phrase in Greek, faithful to his wife, is literally a one-woman man. It's kind of a vague term, but what it means is they're faithful to their spouse. They care and have a loving relationship, that they're monogamous, that it's faithful. There's no girlfriends on the side, there's no extra people. No, no, they're faithful to their spouse. In that culture, polygamy was a big deal, so they're saying none of that, none of that. Faithful to their spouse. And then it says, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. And Paul in 1 Timothy 3 gives the reasoning behind this. He says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? If your kid, if you can't teach your kids well and feed them God's word, how can you feed other people? If, if you as a family are not connected and loving, how can you have a connected and loving church? I think that a lot of times we get our priorities backwards on this. Because people would go like, well, why can't I be a leader? Why can't I do But God says, your family is your priority. You need to focus on your spouse. You need to focus on your kids in this season. Maybe you just have five kids at home and you just feel like, they're crazy. How can anyone handle five kids? Well, yeah, just focus on them for a little while. And in a different season, then it can be your time to step up into this position of leadership. So that's what I want to point out in that, that you're the faithful at home. Whatever the home life is, that's healthy and faithful, and God is involved in that. And then the second thing about elders is that they must love others. They must love others. We can see in this passage, it says he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not violent. Rather, he must be hospitable. So there's these different qualifications and that blameless is just kind of a broad term saying, hey, nobody is, is going to bring these wild accusations against the person because they don't have any um, huge sins in their life. So it's not overbearing. They're not arrogant and always thinking they're better than everyone else. They're not quick-tempered. They're not getting angry, not violent. And it's not just physical violence, verbal violence. Are you a bully? Are you always getting your way? No, no. A godly leader is someone who cares about other people's opinions and values above their own. That's why they're not violent, they're not bullied. And rather he must be hospitable. So this is showing love to other people. So what we're always looking for with elders is do they open their home to have people over for dinner? Maybe do they host a community group? Maybe when there's a need for the youth intern, are they saying, hey, they can stay at my house? You know, whatever these things are, they're hospitable. And it, it's not just for Christians. This is someone who's loving to outsiders as well, to people who aren't in the faith. Are they loving and kind? That's the kind of person that we're looking for. So that's the second thing. 
the God of God, love others. And the third one is that they must have personal integrity. They must have personal integrity. Character is so important for godly healthy leaders. We see this in our passage. He must be not given to drunkenness, not pursuing dishonest gain. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. So there should be no substances that are altering their decision-making, right? No drunkenness. Not pursuing dishonest gain, he says. They're not in it for the money or the glory. So they're not like that pastor in the news this week who was asking people to fund his fourth private jet. I don't know the guy, but I can tell you, I don't need a private jet. I'll tell you that. One who loves what is good. I like this because it's not just that he does what is good, but he loves it. Because there are some Christians who are like, yeah, read my Bible again today. It was at church again. I'm there every week. I'm always serving. Oh my gosh, it's so annoying. No, it's someone who loves what is good. Who's, who actually has a heart that says, I love God's Word. I can't wait to read it and tell people about it. I can't wait to spend time with people and serve them. That's what we want. Someone who loves it. Who is self-controlled and disciplined. So this is someone who has good personal habits and even spiritual disciplines. Do they practice regular devotions? Upright and holy, this is someone who is really striving for godliness. This is what we're looking for in a leader. Someone who has that personal relationship with God and that personal integrity. That's the third thing. And the fourth thing is that he, the elder must stand firm on truth. Stand firm on truth. So this is someone who knows the truth, obviously. They've read the Bible enough. They know the doctrines, the great doctrines of the Bible. But it's also someone who will stand firm on that. And we read this in verse 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So this is someone who knows well enough that they can teach. They don't have to teach. In fact, in, in Timothy it says that an elder must be able to teach. So they must know the Bible well enough to teach others. But they don't have to be up here like me teaching. You know, I'm a special type of elder that's a, a preaching elder as well. Um, our lead elder Gary Lindholm uh, was a pastor in Alaska for a number of years so he can teach as well he, he does that all of our elders can teach but you might not hear them up here teaching right? that might not be their primary gift but it also says they must not only encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it so this means they know it well enough that they have convictions that they can stand on this and say this is the truth we will go no further we're going to talk about sound doctrine next week. That's our entire message next week. And that word sound can be translated as healthy. That's why I really like healthy church, healthy doctrine. We're going to talk about that next week, about what that is. But what I'm saying is here, these elders have such a firm conviction that they're going to say, I don't care if the entire world believes something different. We're going to hold firm to the truth. I don't care if our entire church is opposing us on this thing. We're going to stand firm on the truth. I don't care if the Supreme Court of the United States says something. We're going to stand firm on the truth. So that's why I'm saying that they hold a firm conviction, that they stand firm on God's truth. That's what we're looking for in a shepherd. That's what we're looking for in a shepherd. I once had a a man years ago um, come to talk to me because he really wanted to be an elder. He really wanted to be a pastor. He was saying, hey, I really want to do it. So what I did is I took out my Bible and I said, okay, let's look at these qualifications that we've just talked about. 
we went through and talked about the, the main areas and talked about each one of them, described it. And I asked him, I said, so which one of these do you need to work on? Do you feel like God said, hey, I need to work on this before I'm ready to be an elder? And he scratched his head and he said, none. And I was like, what? <coughs> kind of taken aback. Because he had several that he needed to work on, and one in particular that everyone knew he needed to work on. And even bigger than that, when you have an attitude like that, you're obviously not someone who's humble. Now, I'm going to be the first one to say that these qualifications are so challenging. As a young man, as I thought about this, I became a pastor at the age of 24, and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be a shepherd, I'm going to be an elder. Man, that's challenging. Every time I read this, I'm challenged. Because who does this sound like? Jesus. <laughs> the good shepherd. The person, he, he wasn't married, he didn't have any kids, but he loved his mom so much that even when he was about to die, he told John, he said, can you take care of my mother after I'm gone? He was faithful at home. He loved others. He cared about them passionately, and he served the least, the last, and the lost. He had personal integrity. He was righteous. He never did anything that was wrong. Never sinned. And he stood firm on the truth. He spoke as one who had authority, the word says. And at the end of his life, when he was put on trial, he could have said something, twisted the truth, lied a little bit, so that he could get out of it. I mean, they really hadn't done anything wrong, right? But he didn't. He stood firm on the truth always, even though that meant he would die for us. And he did that to love us, to care for us. And what Jesus said was that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. So when we look at that, and that, that's one of my big ideas. We want elders, godly elders, who shepherd like Jesus. We want people who are growing more and more godly to be like Jesus. And those are the people we're to look for. And this is challenging. I, I guarantee you our elders up here are like, no, I don't know if I fit it, Bill. Because that's what you feel when you read these qualifications. You're working at it, but we know our glaring weaknesses. We know our struggles. But what I do want to say what I do want to say is that we should aim for this. Okay, so I want to give you a few applications here with, with this big idea, with our passage. And the first one is not all of you will be elders. In James 3.1, Jesus' brother, James, said, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Leaders are held to a higher standard, not only by God, but by everyone around you. As soon as you get into a role of leadership, that's when you have a target on your back. People are going to notice everything you do wrong, every mistake you make. And you're going to have to be ready to apologize and repent and ask for forgiveness again and again and again. So not all of you will become elders. Some of you will become, you say, hey, I fit those qualifications, Matt, but I may not serve as an elder in that specific pastoral role. That's good, too. But the second thing I do want to say is that you should aim for it. In 1 Timothy 3.1, Paul says, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. I think it's good and healthy for every Christian to say, I want to be that way. I want to be a godly leader. Man, I might not have that, what it takes to be the leader over a ministry or as an elder in the church, but I'm going to strive to meet those qualifications. Because that's what godliness is, Right? If that's our goal, I think each one of us should look at those qualifications and say, Matt, I really struggle with that one. Or that those three. And what I want to encourage you and challenge you to do today is think about the one thing that you need to work on the most. 
and that list of qualifications. Say, I'm going to focus on that one thing. I'm going to focus on that for the next year. And I'm going to grow in it so that maybe I'm not ready right now, but maybe next year, maybe in a few years, maybe a decade from now, then I will be because I'm continuing to grow in godliness. So we should aspire to it. And here's the third application. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Here's the thing. I'm on the other board. We're going to make decisions you're going to disagree with. We're not always going to do it the way that you want us to. And we're going to make mistakes. But what we're taught to do is to have confidence and to submit to the authority that God has put in this church. So what I encourage you to do is to honor and respect your leaders. Yeah, you're going to disagree. Come talk to us. Ask us some questions. Tell us your mind. We do want to hear. We want to improving and growing as leaders and making better decisions. But I guarantee you there's probably something about our decision we made that you don't know anything about. And that's how it goes because we're aware of things. We're praying about things. And we know situations on maybe a deeper level. And we're going to have to make some hard decisions. Sometimes the rod of the shepherd is not the funnest thing to feel. But we're doing it for the, the health of our church. We're striving with everything we can to be a healthier, thriving, impactful church. So I want to encourage you guys to do that. And because of that, I want you to get to know your elders a little bit better. So if I could have um, our elders come up on the screen right now. Um, some of you don't know them um, very well, and that's okay. I want to introduce you to them, those of you who don't know. And I encourage you afterwards to kind of pick their brains, talk to them a little bit more. Um, this is the Gary Littlehome. He's our lead elder. He's the one who's a pastor in Alaska. I'm sure he can tell you lots of stories about that if you haven't heard his Alaska stories. Um, then we have Greg Buchanan. came on our elder board last year. served in the Navy for a long time. Then we have Mike Prow as one of our elders as well. So these are our elders right now. If you're thinking, well, Matt, isn't somebody missing? Yeah, there is. Jimmy Smith. He's out of town. Um, but the other thing, Jimmy decided to step down a few weeks ago. And he just took a new job as a church mobilization specialist. I didn't remember that in the first place. Church mobilization specialist with Converge, our network of churches. And he said, hey, now I'm almost fully funded with that. Cool. So if you want to give him some money and support him, he wants you to. He's like 7% shy. He's like, I want to focus full time on this, Matt. And, and I think we respect that decision and we want to honor him because he's been on the other board for over two years. And before that, he served as our executive pastor here at the church. We love Jimmy. He's in Moab this week, which I love. That's my wife's hometown. But we wanted to honor him this week, and because he's not here, we're going to wait until next week. Don't tell him. We're going to do something special for Jimmy because he has served our church faithfully. Um, but as you can tell, we're a small board right now. We'll probably be adding a couple um, more elders in the fall for when we start our new fiscal year in October. But I want you guys to know these guys, get to know them better, and, and because they care about you. They're praying for you. They love you. They want to visit you in the hospital if you have a need or anything like that. And these are your leaders. So I hope that you guys can encourage them and pray for them so that our job, as hard as it can be sometimes, is a joy, like I said in Hebrews chapter 3. Because it really is a joy and an honor to get to serve you guys. I think that's the perfect. Everybody on the board wants to say that. So what we're going to do right now is um, I want us to pray for this elder. You guys... Up to pray for me. I'll, I'll leave the prayer because I'm, I'm on the elder board, but I'm also a staff member. So uh, I'm going to say a prayer for this elder board, and I want you guys to reach out in hand if you could join me in prayer. Um, and I'm going to say a prayer for them. 
Lord God, it's an honor, it's a privilege to serve on this elevator. It's also a great responsibility. And often we look at ourselves and wonder, am I qualified? And I pray that you would just encourage this board and our boards in the future to serve you faithfully, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard and challenging. But that we could be the shepherds to love the flock, to lay down our lives for the flock, just like you did. And I pray that you'd raise up even more elders. Maybe there's someone here right now who's going to go on the elder board in the future. I pray that you would grow in them godliness, that you'd help them strive to be more qualified, that you would put in their hearts that desire to grow and be a leader. And Lord God, I just pray that you would help our church become healthier and healthier every day, every week, that we might be more godly, that we might be more like your son Jesus every day and have a, a huge, growing impact in the lives of our church and our community. I pray this in Jesus' name. Make it